Hi there, I'm Matt Housebarby. And I'm Jory Monroe. And this is Skill Up. Skill Up is a podcast sponsored by HubSpot Academy, all about the changing landscape of marketing, sales, and customer service. If you've ever owned a car, you know that it doesn't just run forever without regular tune-ups. You need to change the oil, get your tires replaced, and do general repairs. And these things usually aren't optional, especially if you want to get from one place to another. So you might be asking yourself, what does this extended car metaphor have to do with SEO? Well, you can't think of content as something you just create and then forget about. You need to check in every once in a while to make sure that your posts are still performing. And you need to be ready to make changes when they're not generating results anymore. That's what we're going to cover today. How to identify posts that are on the decline, how to figure out why you might not be seeing as much organic traffic as you used to, and how to get them back in shape again to drive views and conversions. If you could start any business in the world, seriously, any business, what would it be? In this day and age, it has never been easier to start a business, but it's never been more difficult for that business to succeed. That's where HubSpot Academy can help. HubSpot Academy offers engaging and informative classes that can help you skill up so you can grow your business. Go to HubSpot.com slash skill up to check out trainings, certifications, community discussions, and much, much more. That's HubSpot.com slash skill up and start learning today. Jory, you ready to go? Yeah, totally. So let's say you have a really good blog post that used to bring in tons of traffic and conversions each month. Maybe it was even pulled into a featured snippet. What are some of the reasons that you might see this blog post start to slip down when it comes to rankings? Yeah, there's lots of different reasons why you could potentially start seeing slips in rankings and organic traffic as a whole. This is a fairly normal thing. It's a thing that people often freak out a lot about, to be honest. You've got things like maybe some competitors have been releasing new content, gaining a bunch more links, like we've talked about in some previous episodes, to to their content. And they're actually just doing the same stuff that you're doing, and they're doing it maybe a little bit better. Or actually, they've just had a nice influx of links that's helped outrank you. One of the things to always remember, though, is the results page is malleable. It changes on like way more than a daily basis. So you will often drop and rise in rankings like from day to day, sometimes hour to hour, sometimes for even more competitive results, like minutes to minutes, right? It's literally that dynamic. The other thing here, you've got maybe older content that used to bring in a ton of traffic. Maybe it's starting to get a little bit outdated. Maybe the intent is no longer matching and needs to be refreshed. Maybe you are starting to see a decrease in click-through rate through from the search results page, which again is very much linked to context and intent behind what people are searching for. Perfect example of this, right, is you've got a blog post that is talking all about the 10 best Twitter tactics to grow your your following, right? Mm. And it may be that that was the 10 best Twitter tactics to grow your following in 2017. Now, in 2018, 
less people are probably going to click that. And that's a very simple example, but for all kinds of, especially in e-commerce as well and blog content, this kind of thing happens a lot. And then one other thing to call out here, in amongst many, you, you mentioned about uh, featured snippets. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about featured snippets before, and we'll continue to talk about featured snippets. They're everywhere. <laughs> they are everywhere. But one, I actually remember something at HubSpot, I think it was last year, on one of our Spanish blogs. We saw like this really strange pattern where traffic was kind of coming through in dramatic drops and then almost immediately regaining the same amount of traffic back and dropping the exact same amount and then rising back up, like almost on like a weekly basis, kind of literally like just a peak and troughs in the um, in the analytics. And mm-hmm. we're digging into this and we isolated it down to one really big traffic blog post. I think it was something around Instagram or something. And what was happening was, Google was triggering a featured snippet to show for one of like the main search queries that were coming up. And every time that the featured snippet was appearing in the search results page, our blog post was showing up in the featured snippet. But every now and then, it wasn't even that some competitor was outranking us. It was actually just Google removed the featured snippet altogether from the results page. And what that meant is it lowered the click-through rate because it was just less visible and stood out more. So these are the kind of things that are just straight up out of your control in some circumstances. Another thing that rolls into that same kind of area would be Google adding more paid ads for a certain search gotcha. query. And that happens a lot when searches occur at a relatively high volume and you'll all of a sudden see ads come in, eats at your click-through rate. So lots and lots of different reasons and the big thing that I would just call out more more than anything is making sure that you spend a good good amount of time, especially for big traffic drops, correctly diagnosing the reason or reasons why something has dropped before taking a generic kind of way to get things back on track. Are there ways to like reasonably diagnose what's actually causing that drop? Yeah, I think the first thing is always... The, the way that you'll usually spot a dip will be either you'll notice things at the, your end conversions. So you'd be like, hmm, we've made less sales this month. Why? Or we've just driven less traffic to our blog. Why? It's rare that you just immediately start with this individual blog post dropped off on these. Th-. Right. You start very top level. And a lot of the times that can be one of the easiest ways to misdiagnose, right? Because you're looking very broadly and you're saying, oh, there's a problem with the website. Uh, people will be like, the, one of the most common things I hear is like, oh, I think we've got a search engine penalty or something like that. But actually, the, the quickest thing that I often do is whenever I try and diagnose at a glance, like mm-hmm. where the problem is, I'll just hop into like Google Analytics, for example, and go into the behavior and pages report where you can just see traffic broken down by each individual page. Then I'll just do a comparison, whether it's month on month or wherever the the drop started and then the previous week or month. And what you can quickly see is for each individual blog post, you'll get like the percentage drop or gain it's had. And you're like, all right, this one blog post has dropped 29% and everything else is kind of similar level of like 1% gain minus 1% drop or whatever. There's the thing that we need to dig into. And that's when you start your deeper analysis of, What's happening in terms of the different 
topics that people are searching for to get to this? Do we need to look at Search Console to dig a bit deeper? Is it outdated, for example, and we need to do something to fix that? So that's where I would start that that explore, exploration. So you got to like be willing to dig into the different layers to really understand what's causing like the symptom and that drop. That's definitely interesting. And one thing that you kind of touched on is, you know, out of date content. So we all know that creating a really dynamic piece of content, it takes effort and it takes time. You might be dedicating a bunch of resources to your blog. So, you know, what are some ways that people can get these posts that are slipping through the rankings back into shape so that, again, they get those search engine results that they're looking for? Yeah, there's one playbook that we've rolled out for a few years now at HubSpot. And one of our colleagues, uh, Pam Vaughan, she actually wrote an ebook all about this. It's called Historical Optimization. And this is a huge part of our SEO and content strategy that we implement on an ongoing basis. Let me just rewind a bit and discuss what that actually is. One of the big things that we try to do on an ongoing basis is have a little look at where we're seeing drop-offs in historically high-performing content and also see if there's areas where we need to update content because it's kind of lacking the right intent or context. For example, like something's about 2017, it should be about mm-hmm. 2018, just one of many examples there. And maybe just some of the examples given are out of day or, do you know what, this just needs to be updated and overhauled a bit because the information isn't as accurate anymore. Things have changed. What we try to do with some of these, especially if they're seeing drops, is get some of this blog content, have a look at areas where we can maybe expand on certain parts of what we've discussed, add some extra content to it, bring it back up to date. And what we will do is then republish the post, setting the date to, say, today's date, and promoting it as if it's a whole brand new blog post. Now, a couple of things happen here. One, you're kind of realigning the intent, adding a bit more content, helps like build more relevancy, gives a general refresh that's going to help in the long term. But two, if this is a blog post, and if we think about the way that most websites work from a blog, you'll have usually a timeline-based blog feed. That is to say, the most recent blog post, the article that is, that you've published will sit at the top of your blog feed. Then the second newest will be below it, third newest, and then it users will go might down. know this as like a listing page. Exactly yeah. right. And then as as a as an article gets older and older, it will go into page two of the blog, page three of the blog, page four of the blog. Now, what's actually happening there is it's moving deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper down in the overall site's architecture, and. One of the big things that happens there is the amount of authority. We we touched on authority a lot in some of the previous episodes and the authority being pushed from internal links in the website. That's getting weaker and weaker. What we're saying is if you imagine looking at a sitemap, and this is the way Google's looking at this, right? It's like a hierarchy of importance. The deeper something is down in that hierarchy, the... What we're saying to Google is this is less and less important. Things higher up, like the homepage, for example, one of the reasons why people will say the most powerful page on a website is the homepage, because it sits at the top of the architecture. It has the prime spot there and usually has the most internal links. 
It's the exact same with blog content. So you update it, all of a sudden, this has just jumped really high up to one of the higher levels in the overall sites architecture, not just the blog. And now you're saying to Google, hey, this is really important. It's now got a link from a really important page, page one of the, the actual blog on your site. And on top of all that, it may start getting some additional external backlinks, that is from other websites, because you're going out and promoting this again. This is like your People are going to share system. it, yeah. Exactly, right? And that's going to really help with driving a nice burst of extra authority into the post and a really simple way of actually driving back some of the the losses that you you get from that older content and when you think about it from a resource point of view it's super easy like versus rewriting and creating a whole new post from scratch this is using existing content you've got it's the resources to reward which is the fundamental decision making process of seo is way outbalanced to the reward when i touched on pam vaughan who originally built out the the playbook for this Back in 2015, when she first started this project, she actually managed to double the number of monthly leads generated by old posts that we'd optimized. And on top of that, increased the monthly organic search views of old posts optimized on average, I think it was by about 106%. That is a huge gain. And pretty much all of this was down to us just going through and updating old content. That makes a lot of sense. So how old should a post be before I consider updating it? For instance, like when when is too low on the hierarchy? <laughs> too low. <laughs> <laughs> when should it be Very the well queen put. again? <laughs> so yeah, when does our blog post become a peasant? That's exactly. what we're saying. Um, so the that's that is to some extent going to have the classic SEO answer of it depends. Well then. <laughs> but I mean, realistically, I I would say you want to judge this based on how frequently you're producing new content, which will determine how quickly that drops down in your site's architecture. So if for a company like HubSpot, right, I think on our blog feed we show maybe it's something like our 10 most recent posts at the time mm -hmm. uh, right now. And we publish probably almost more than that every day, right? right. So Definitely. Yeah, and that means that pretty much after a day, something goes on to page two. So very quickly after even a week, it's on it's buried. Like page seven. Yeah, it's like <laughs> right. it's buried in the, in the architecture very quickly. It means for us, we can implement this kind of playbook much quicker. Our definition of what is become old is very different to someone who has a blog feed that say is like 10 or 20 blog posts long, but they publish one blog post a month. Then it's going to probably be closer to like a year old or unless there is some particularly outdated content, that's then when you're going to see more leverage from this. So to just summarize there, this historical optimization playbook is probably most effective at, and, and most scalable when you are publishing a lot of content at a relatively high frequency. And a lot is obviously subjective, but overall, like this is where you can use this more frequently. It doesn't mean it's any more effective. It just means you can use it more. If you're publishing lower numbers of blog posts at a lower frequency, you can still use this, but just not as often. So do you have any recommendations? So 
obviously like HubSpot has a blogging team. Like there are several people managing this and the eyes are on this, but do you have any recommendations? And maybe this is a little bit more into the content strategy side of things, but do you have any recommendations for like smaller teams, like how they can keep track of this? Build a bigger team. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, so there are lots of ways that you can do this. I've I've worked with a bunch of companies in the past that are both large teams and tiny teams, and where there's actually been zero content creation resources in house in some circumstances. There are a few ways that you can think about approaching this to to gain kind of more scale, for lack of a better term. One is you can create a distributed and outsourced content team, which I'll come back to. Two is you can kind of try and maximize efficiencies by specializing. And I'll start with that piece. So what a lot of companies with low resources that go into content, one of the biggest mistakes I see them do is just create content for content's sake. And they mm -hmm. use up a large proportion of their minimal resources towards something that's got no real strategy behind it. It's very broad. They're approaching it like they're a big content team because like, well, maybe they see HubSpot's blog and they're like, well, it's working for HubSpot, right? We should just try and make a dent at this. The reality is that's just not going to work uh, for your situation. The best thing to do is say, okay, we have limited resources. Let's try and specialize on very specific things. We're going to just focus really on one single topic, and we're going to go really, really deep on that. And we're going to try and produce content that is a lot richer, higher quality, but in lower volume, as opposed to as much as you possibly can at the lowest quality that's reasonable just to get volume out there. Because volume will not do anything for you unless you have the resources to actually promote it. And that's the other piece that's often forgotten is it's one thing creating content, but yeah, we have this fantastic content team at HubSpot that is like a powerhouse of producing content. They don't just produce content, they promote that content heavily to a huge audience. And we also have a dedicated SEO team that can support on that. We have social resources, we have video production in-house, like all of these things that help us actually take advantage of this kind of scale. So bearing that in mind is really important. Then to come back to the outsourced content team, I personally really love this approach because what you can create is scale with bringing in outside resources that doesn't create a long-term commitment so you can at least try out a model of content creation without all of the like putting bums on seats in the office, right? Mm -hmm. You've got... What so you're you, talking like freelance workers? Freelance or? workers, freelance writers, gotcha. outsourced like content creation in some form. I am a big fan of whenever you're starting like a new project and even existing projects where you haven't traditionally created a lot of more top of the funnel content, let's just assume this is more blog focused content, is finding good writers that are freelance writers, contributors to relevant publications within your industry that are proven and already have an audience of their own as well. Bring them in on relatively like low commitment, just writing gigs, but have one person in house that's your basically like souped up project manager who can be running the editorial strategy, figuring out what they need content created about, who they're gonna 
actually work with to get the content created. They're going to make sure everything's published on time, has a promotion schedule. What you get the advantage of with outsourcing is if you want to create 10 blog posts in one month, you could pay one person to create 10 blog posts in the same way that you could hire someone to create 10 blog posts. With outsourcing, you could hire 10 people to create one blog post each. You can move much quicker. And not only that, you can have a specialist writer for each topic that they're going to create content on and tap into their their networks to create some kind of like wheelhouse of promotion as well. So you have these distributed writers that all write for other publications. Usually these people will mention some of their other work when they write for other publications, maybe get you some links, maybe they'll share it on their social channels, maybe they'll push this out to some of their personal audience, maybe they have a personal website. All of this will happen and you gain huge economies of scope in being able to do this. And it would cost you no more than just hiring one person to do all of it. The challenge comes in the more people you have, the more project management time. It could very quickly become a case of like too many cooks. And that's where you really need to have someone in-house who is very strong at coordinating and managing an editorial process as well as the SEO implications in amongst all of it. So to sort of summarize, it's like you can, if you're strapped for resources, you can go depth rather than breadth Mm-hmm. almost like with your with their content creation or you should really think about outsourcing and potentially getting those thought leaders in certain topics but your the potential con is going to be that you're going to need to project manage and it, it can be difficult in its own type of way yeah and i and there's there's also there's a middle ground between the two right you could do a bit of both the challenge comes like when you have limited internal resources you would usually decide we're either going to have the project manager type person or we're going to have the content creator. Right. What I usually would recommend is you work on a scale of starting with outsourcing and working your way to having internal resources. But you can keep outsourcing working in amongst all of that. But what you've done is from the start, you've had someone controlling the project management, the editorial content, building out full kind of editorial strategies and calendars that the team can work on. That can then that process can be retained and used actually when you're working with in-house staff as well. So to kind of bring this back to like steps people can take to actually update their posts, say they get these processes running. Do you have any tips for how to update a post that's still pretty relevant but might be just a little outdated? Yeah, there's a few different ways that you can go about this. Some are more drastic than others. So one really nice way that you can just add some freshness in there that also has kind of like some promotion loop in there as well is let's say you've written an article that's around fitness, right? Mm -hmm. A topic that I need to know more about at the moment, feeling very unfit at the moment. So let's say it's the 10 best like ab workouts for men, right? something that I will read whilst on the couch enjoying some Netflix and and Snickers and Snickers and not spinach (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, so what what we could do in there is like you've got a couple of things yeah you could just go down the angle of let's add 15 right and it's like maybe we don't necessarily need that but what we could do is find some industry experts let's get some like personal trainers that have a personal blog and they contribute to other publications online 
We bring and John them. Cena. At John Cena. Get <laughs> John Cena into your blog. Yes. So we reach out to John Cena and we say, hey, John, can you recommend us like ha- some ab thing that you do to look like you. <laughs> you really are out of like date. Okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Some um, ab thing. Some ab thing. That's actually a really highly technical term that only incredibly fit people understand. But the goal here is to get an influencer to add maybe whether it's just a simple quote within there, a tactic, uh, like in this, in this case, a workout routine. Then when it goes live, you can share with the influencer who then in turn shares with their audience. And you can do this kind of really simple stuff with a bunch of influencers. The nice thing with this is you add content without having to write it yourself. You also get an added like boost on usually social media or somewhere else that you can kind of tap into. You can even do like full interviews that you bulk in to add even more content in this. And it's just a nice, easy way to kind of basically understand how to loop in some kind of promotion and generate more links and awareness. Got to keep it fresh. Got to keep it fresh. The other thing that I would say here is one thing I do like to do is go into Google Search Console and have a little look at some of the most frequently searched for search terms for any of those blog posts. And if you start to see uh, there's, there's a few of these topics that are starting to our blog post is starting to show up for, but we we kind of don't talk about it quite enough. We touch on it. Maybe you just want to add a little bit more relevancy to that to get it ranking a bit more. That's where I'll use some of those insights. So, okay, here are our like related terms that we want to just make sure we're adding a bit more of context to so that it just can help rank for even more keywords and, and topics that we're going after. What's your opinion on adding videos? I think that can be a really nice way of adding an extra layer of like interactivity and richer content. The the thing that I would say here is at HubSpot, we tend to try and add video content to quite large pieces of content where it's a complex topic and we want to add more breadth. We also have in-house video creation like an editing capabilities. If you are a smaller website and you are thinking, well, maybe one way of just updating this would be to spend like 25K on getting a video created for this blog post. Like, I would just think about, first of all, one, do your users, the the visitors to that blog post, actually care about video? To con- Is that the way they want to consume that content? Not everyone does want to do that. And certain topics, certain audiences just don't respond very well to, to video. And two, is that going to be the best use of resources? I think certainly one of the ways that I would absolutely say video is the right move here is if we start seeing video results showing up in the search results page. We talked about this in one of the previous episodes uh, of the series where it's all about context, right? It's like understanding what is happening right now in the search results page and not trying to reinvent the wheel, doing what Google wants to, to show. So say I've updated my post. I have John Cena telling everyone that Snickers is always the right way to go over spinach. Oh, is that his ab thing? That's how you get abs. Snickers over spinach every day. (laughs) So I've updated my post. Looks good. Sounds relevant. What are some basic metrics that I should be tracking after I've updated the content? 
how many Snickers you've eaten and the impact upon your abs. Well, too many. <laughs> well, you're going to have amazing abs. You know? This is good news for you. Uh, happy Summer days. Summer is coming. Oh, yeah. But in terms of the content, slightly different. So I would, first of all, have a little look at organic traffic to the blog post. That's one of like my, if you want to have it as like the core metric that you're going to pay attention to here is organic traffic. Now, the other thing to think about in this respect is how long do you wait? Sometimes people will look and be like, oh, it's been two weeks. We're still dipping. Like, Have the same approach as if you just published a brand new piece of content. Give it time, the same amount of time that you would usually give. You usually talk in months rather than weeks, especially if you are going after higher competition keywords. That's one piece. In the meantime, though, to get a general idea of like how well is this doing, I like to go into Google Search Console and have a little look and see if the click-through rate from the search results page has increased slightly, especially if we've made some kind of context changes or maybe we've added a video, for example, and we think this should have an impact on us getting into being clicked on a bit more. And also if we've added some featured snippet content, then we've got something there. And alongside that, I would maybe have a little look at more engagement metrics. Are people spending more time on the page? Are they converting at a better rate, et cetera? So then you can make a judge of both the acquisition metrics, are we driving more traffic, and the conversion metrics and engagement metrics. Like, Are people more engaged? Are they enjoying the content? Are they scrolling all the way through? Are they converting to the next thing? So I don't know if it's just me, but as you were talking, a little jingle popped into my head, as they are wont to do. And I think that if you're worried, you should use the following. Don't be tripping if you're dipping. Give your blog post time. Boom. Creativity. So <laughs> Yeah, I think it is just you. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that might just be me. But helpful for me, at least. So <laughs> I'm curious about if there are other alternative things that I can focus on to get more views on a post, like re-promoting it or working to make it more linkable in general? Mm, yeah, this, again, depends on your own situation. But the thing that I would really say is the most important is, going back to what I previously said, is treating this in the same way as if you published a brand new blog post. So do you have a decent email list that you tend to share content to. Treat it like it's a brand new piece of content. So re-promote it to your email list. Do you tend to try and do some outreach to other related websites where you'll see if they'll link to the content? Go through that, do it again as if it's brand new. Do you share across all of your social channels? If you've added video, you've got a whole new platform to start promoting this on social in particular. So all of these things you want to try and make sure. Now, in terms of making it more linkable, I think this is like the John Cena situation. There are more influencers than John Cena that you can use. I would probably well. advise only using John Cena. <laughs> uh, he is proven. But <laughs> in Elsinaris Proven ab expert, guys. Proven ab thing guy. Yes, absolutely. He does have the abs. So <laughs> Not just abs, <clears throat> the abs. The abs, the abs, yeah, I believe. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, I think adding people in that have an audience so that you can expand out of your existing one to, to get promotion is going to help a lot there as well. Great. So we're going to hear a message from our sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite topic, analytics. When I first started my career, I thought businesses could succeed by just having a presence online. 
All you have to do is post on social media, update your website, and schedule blog posts somewhat regularly. Easy, right? Wrong. Because publishing content without an SEO strategy can be a huge waste of time. That's why HubSpot Academy created an SEO training course taught by HubSpot's SEO expert, Matt Howells-Barbie, the host of this podcast. This course is great for beginners who are looking to create a smart SEO strategy, build links to their website, start blogging, and much, much more. Head over to HubSpot.com slash SkillUpSEO and start learning today. Hey there, and welcome back. Okay, Matt, so we've been talking about this like it's a given that you would even notice a post starting to slide in the rankings. And because of that, I want to actually back up for a minute here. What are some strategies that I can use to find the post that's most in need of an update in the first place? So I usually find that Excel is your best friend in this respect. Really? Really, really great friend. I start by going into Google Analytics. That's usually my starting point or whichever your favorite analytics platform is. And go through and find the report that lists out all of the individual posts or pages across your website by traffic. So within analytics, this will be in the behavior report and then I think you go to all pages and then top pages you'll be able to then click in there and get a full list of every single page now you can start going through analytics expanding the amount in the list going page two page three can get a little wonky after a while so what I would say is export this to excel or google sheets whichever you prefer get it into a spreadsheet and then you can start manipulating the data a bit better in terms of the time range what I quite like to do here is try and take some of like your highest traffic month in the past like six months, for example, and pull the data for that, and then pull the data for the most recent months, so the last 30 days. What you'll be able to do here is get a very quick snapshot of the difference between two different, uh, well, one blog post across two different time periods. You can very quickly see the things that are working well and increasing in page views, and which ones are decreasing. For each of these different situations, you've got the ones that are increasing. Why are they increasing? What can we learn from them? Are there any similar traits that we could apply across a broader set of pages? And the ones that are decreasing is how we would go in and say, all right, this is where we need to start digging a little deeper, as we talked about a little bit earlier, and trying to diagnose why that is. And maybe some of the learnings from the things that are increasing can be applied to the things that are decreasing. So sometimes trends in data can be a little deceptive, though. So how could I avoid some like red herrings, like fluctuations that happen naturally because of things like time of year or a term becoming more or less popular? Like, How do I prevent any pitfalls in the interpretation of that data? Mm. Seasonality is a big one here that often can be a, a red herring, for example. You will often, with informational content, top of the funnel content, to some extent, the demand for people searching for those things will differ throughout different times of the year. So in HubSpot's case, B2B SaaS business that usually talks about marketing, sales, and customer service topics, we will have uh, quite a high demand for information to this topic near 
like the first quarter of the year, so January through to March. And then as we get to April, May, June, and summer, where people don't care about marketing anymore because they're living up on the beach, uh, seasonality gets a big impact into our numbers. And sometimes you could look at things and say, oh, whoa, July numbers are really bad compared to January or even like November time, right? But that may not be the right, it's like apples to oranges here. So <clears throat> the first thing you can start doing here is having a look at yearly trends and month over month trends, just generally in analytics. You should, if you've got the benefit of multiple years of data, which a lot of companies won't, but if you do have that, great. Use your own data, find trends, and see where you can probably predict out some seasonality. If you don't, and even if you do, do this anyway, go into Google Trends. Google Trends is a really great way of determining seasonality. You can go in and check out uh, a topic that you just plug in, free tool. If you just go Google, Google Trends, you'll find it. Um, let's say we typed in ab workouts, you'll be able to very quickly see the seasonal demand for ab workouts. I'm going to hazard a guess, big <laughs> demand in January. And maybe in the run-up to summer, not so much when it's kind of like November and you're planning your Thanksgiving and your holiday You're planning dinners, hibernation. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you, you're stocking up, right? <laughs> uh, it's more Snickers versus spinach at that time. Always. So that's then when you can start to have another reference point to determine this. The other thing here is, okay, maybe this isn't just about search demand for this. Were there any changes that we did to the site that could impact this? So we changed the architecture. Have we had a redesign? Have we added a whole new sections to the site? Did we just get a ton of external backlinks from a load of these other websites because we had this, I don't know, new product launch or we launched this big piece of content and it had a bunch of press coverage? All of these different things can factor in that mean you're not... And it's actually a fallacy to think that you're ever going to perfectly compare apples to apples here, but you'll be able to see whether something's a huge outlier or whether it's actually just a generic kind of trend. So you can get more like gala apples versus Fuji apples versus like apples and oranges. I just really <laughs> wanted to like make that reference. So, I, saw, okay. I saw your eyes light up. I was like, oh, I can, I can, I can work with this. Awesome. So in terms of Google Trends, just do it. <laughs> Can you give me an example of how we spotted a post in trouble at HubSpot specifically and then turn things around? Yeah, I got a pretty good example, actually, something recently that we did. We updated a post in March. It was all focused around conversation starters. So we initially went through the same process that I outlined. We do this on an almost weekly basis where we will go through, run some analysis across any of the content across the blog, look for trends and dips and increases. Anywhere where we're seeing dips, is there an angle where we may be able to implement some kind of historical optimization to see some benefits there? If there is, then we'll go through and see if we can update the content. In this respect, this article that we had on Conversation Stars was bringing through a decent amount of organic traffic, but started to decline. We needed to kind of rework some of the content, add a bit more into it, and it also really rapidly dropped down in the, the architecture of the site because of the blog feed and the post getting older. Updated it, and we actually saw an increase of over 16,000% in organic traffic to that blog post. And that that is a significant amount of traffic overall. I mean, any increase of that much is pretty huge. You said that so nonchalantly, like, oh, yeah, 16,000% in my, my non-emotional British act. <laughs> like, what? Like, 16,000%? Like, 
that's incredible. Like, yeah, what? it's it's a that's an outlier for sure, right? It's like just to ground uh, uh, everyone listening here. That's not what you can go expecting. It, we we do oh, not you pull sixteen thousand percent. That's amazing. Who wrote this? Nearly post? as amazing as that t- terrible impression of an English accent. You keep working. You a few kidding? more episodes. Yeah, we'll you know, there. I'm we'll gonna get there. get there. We'll get there. No, I would say shoot for fifteen thousand percent as your general benchmark. Keep it reasonable. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I mean, that's in all seriousness, what what we tend to shoot for is we would be delighted with a 5%, 10% gain. That's that's going to be a really good outcome here. The larger the traffic, the, like, the lower the percent that we're going to care about. In all honesty, like we're just looking to see an improvement and an improvement relative to the time that we've put into this. The thing that you will get when you can scale up this process and you can build it out so that you have a very formal way and a method so that you can continuously improve and improve and improve. You do get economies of scope where you're using less and less resources for every new piece of content that you're updating. And what that means is the resources required to the potential reward consistently shifts closer to the reward layer. And this is through a lot of things that you can do within SEO when you build out processes, refine them, improve them, even things like the way that you add new content, some of the ways that you analyze the posts that may or may not be relevant to do some historical optimization on, all of these things that you do, gaining slight efficiencies in the the process that you do it, means you're going to get way, way better results long term. So I think I still have like stars in my eyes with 16,000%, but like with those kind of numbers possible, why would I even want to create new content then? Oh no, I'm I'm handing in my notice to HubSpot in the next few days. That's my job done now. So <laughs> I've succeeded at wor- my life. <laughs> yeah, it's done. No, I mean, uh, as I said, that's an outlier. But also, there is generally a cap of demand that you can. You you're going to hit a ceiling at some point. There's only so much that someone is searching or people that are searching for the thing that you have content around. So for things with bigger volume, yeah, this can be a great play. For things with lower search volume related to their overall topic, there's only going to be so much organic traffic that you can get. The other thing to remember here is, yeah, we're talking about SEO and we're talking about how you can drive more search traffic, but re-promoting this to your email list, re-promoting it on social media, like all of these other things generate traffic too. And they also generate conversions. So there are a lot of indirect benefits that come from this process that even if you don't have a huge, enormous SEO win on this, which just to note, you will not have every single time, you're still going to get some wins along the way. So for companies that could have teams that are dedicated to content creation versus, again, those smaller teams that might have like one or two people dedicated to this kind of process. Like if you had to split resources, maybe even with percentages, maybe not because things are complicated, how much attention do you think people should be paying to, again, like updating historical content versus generating new content then? Yeah. So I would probably put this on a scale relative to the amount of content that you're producing. So kind of where we were talking about a bit before, if you are producing large volumes at a high frequency of content, that's when I would dedicate more of an individual's time. It may be like, all right, 20, 25% of their time can be dedicated to this. If you're producing things at a 
less frequent, less lower volume number of content, then it may be like, all right, this is just going to be 5% of an individual's time. You hit a certain threshold of frequency where you can say, we will have an individual 100% dedicated to this. Like if you are a publication that's just, that your whole revenue comes from producing content and getting ad revenue, then you're probably producing a hell of a lot of content and it makes sense to not only maybe have one person doing this, but have a whole team focused on this, right? So Definitely, yeah. And this is like something that will probably grow over time. So keeping it relevant to content production volumes and production frequency. So kind of using the context of your team to guide you through that. All right, well, that's actually all the time we have today. I've learned a lot. So thanks, Matt. You are more than welcome. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, if you liked today's lesson, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your parents or friends or coworkers to listen to us if they want to understand what you do all day. You can follow us on Twitter at HubSpot Academy, where we're always posting about the latest in SEO and a bunch of other topics like sales, marketing, and customer service. So give us a little look. I'm Jory Monroe. And I'm Matt House Barbie. And thank you so much for listening. If you're listening to this show, you've already taken the first step in growing your career. But I have really good news. You can go even further for free. HubSpot Academy is a worldwide leader in marketing and sales education, and they offer free classes on topics like social media, SEO, content marketing, and more. There's no catch, just expert advice that can take your career to the next level. Go to HubSpot.com skillup to get started today and build your business better.